Welcome to the Fish House Nation podcast presented by Catch Cover, your home for ice fishing news, tips, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Chris Larson. Hello and welcome to the Fish House Nation podcast uh, with Blake Tollison. I'm Chris Larson and um, I'd like to say it's starting to warm up, but it's not. It's still winter is still kind of fighting to stay stay with us. But open water season is either coming up or it's here. And I know, Blake, you've been out doing a little fishing uh, with the longer rods. Um, yeah. Starting to put away those shorter rods. And uh, the other thing that you do is, you know, this open water season is kind of your thing. And you've been doing a lot of preparation and getting ready. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what you've been doing. Uh, first of all, just to get your rods and reels ready. Right. So, yeah, like you said, it's a it's a process. I mean, sure, you can just take out everything you had the year before and throw it in the boat and go. But it seems like you're going to run into some some issues when you do that. So basically what I like to do with rods and reels, take an inventory of what I have. You know, if I'm I'm the type of person who I have a rod that does this technique, you know, so if I have, I'm going to be drop shotting, I'm going to have a drop shot rod. If I'm going to be throwing a small swim bait, I have a rod throwing a small swim bait. So I like to take inventory of what I have, make a list of the rods, the reels that go with them, and the line that's going to go on there as well. Um, and then I look through all that list and see, is there something I'm missing? Is there something I need to add to my lineup? I look all those rods over, make sure there's not any defects. Maybe uh, that there's no cracks in the guides, issues with the real seat or the blank. If there is, I want to send those in well in advance of the season. So I make sure I get them back. Uh, reels, clean them up, grease them, make sure everything's oiled properly. If you buy some of the higher end reels, you don't necessarily have to do that. But if you're looking at the more budget friendly stuff, you shouldn't grease those or oil those every year. Um, same thing applies there. If I need anything repaired or replaced, I'm going to make sure I do that well in advance of the season. And then the last thing on the list is taking off all of last year's line and replacing it with new stuff. The only exception to that is braid. Uh, I will run braid for a couple of years before I replace it. After rods and reels, moving to tackle. So that's, uh, that's another thing here that I like to take inventory of. So I'm a very detail-oriented person, very organized. <clears throat> so all of my boxes are labeled with what is in them. So if I have a box of, you know, jigging wraps, those are labeled. If I have a box with panfish plastics, I label that uh, crankbaits in this box. I go through, I look over everything, especially the stuff I'm going to use right away early in the season. Repair, replace as needed. Um, and then... Like, like I said, make sure everything's organized by tackle type. I like to have some Very good, hooks, hooks on hand there to replace those. So, How about uh, those boats, kayaks, canoes, those kind of things? Uh, I know there's uh, there's definitely some work to do there. Uh, you know, you always hear the uh, boat stands or bring out another thousand. <laughs> yep. it, it feels like, uh, you know, this time of year is that time of year where you start discovering things. Yeah, I, I mean, so the list depends a little bit on what type of rig you have. I guess if you have a, a boat, that's, you're going to have a few different things that you're going to look at versus a canoe or a kayak. But regardless, kind of the generic things, you know, make sure everything's clean. Hopefully you stored it well last year. You know, you made sure that you had something in there to prevent mice or other critters from getting in there. Um, if you 
if you didn't and you got issues, well, then make sure you allow some extra time for that. Uh, on my boat, I go through, I make sure no hardware is loose. You know, basically make sure all the screws are in place. The, you know, the seats, how it's supposed to be. Trolling motors mounted on the front the way it's supposed to be. Um, I go through everything. I give it a thorough cleaning. Um, I like to power wash it, go through the vacuum, and then I put a just a layer of wax on the outside too. And I do that a few times throughout the season. But it seems like once you're in the season, it gets harder and harder to make time for that. So I like to make sure I'm doing it for sure before everything gets kind of kicked off. Uh, take a look at your trailer, if you, especially if you have, uh, you know, a trailer for your boat. You know, make sure the bunks and rollers are are operational. Take a look at the tires. I think that's one thing that gets neglected tires. Um, so take a look at those. Make sure you you have a spare on hand. Uh, and then if you know if you're just throwing your canoe in your back of your truck or on top of it or something, I guess that's one last thing to worry about. Yeah, I was driving down the highway last weekend and uh, there was a boat there uh, with with a tra- with a tire that had been torn to pieces. And it's like, yeah, yep. t- is the season for that. You know, everyone's had their boat in storage and a lot of people are driving around with not enough air pressure in there or just yeah. dry rods because they're old. And it, it's a it's a tough time of year where people start pulling those boats for the first time and uh, bad things can happen. What yeah. what else are you looking at uh, this time of year to start getting ready for the season? Um, well, obviously, as part of the boat process, you're looking at the motors. Uh, so you have an outboard motor and then like the trolling motor. Basically, make sure both of those are operational. Uh, invest in a little pair of muffs so you can make sure that your motor is working before it gets in the water. And if you don't have those, I guess drop it in, test it before you're actually going to go out before like that first day. Um, beyond that, I like to just make sure everything, you know, all the connections are good. The the connections from my electronics uh, to the batteries are good. You know, take a look at your batteries. It seems like especially lead acid batteries, you got to replace those every couple of years. So um, maybe now it's time to invest in a, a lithium for running your electronics or something like that. Uh, beyond that, um, I guess apparel. I like to look at my all my, like my rain gear. I wear my rain gear or my ice suits this time of year, especially when it's cold. Make sure it's clean, good condition, no issues there. Yeah, ready to rock. Let's move on to the next topic today, and that is uh, we call it wrong way. And this is something that you see memes of all the time is people trying to use their spinning uh, reel <laughs> upside down. And, you know, if you've got somebody who does that, that's really not your friend, those kind of things. Uh, but it's kind of funny because my son, if he picks up, you know, he's a lefty. And if he picks up my spinning reel, that's exactly where it ends up in his hand. But you and I were talking last week and, you know, Spinning reel, it seems like people have a hard time, but with bait casters and even trolling reels, it's always on that right side. So let's talk a little wrong way. Yeah, I, I just have always found it interesting. I mean, I think I fell into that same trap as a younger fisherman where you would pick up a bait caster and you would fish it, you know, fish it with your left hand and reel with your right hand, whereas a spinning reel, you'd always hold it in your right and switch to your left. Um, to me, that's never really made any sense. I don't, with all of my setups now, whether it's casting, trolling, um, trolling reels are a little tougher to find with the left hand retrieve, but or spinning reels, I'm re- always reeling with my left hand. I just think it's great to be able to set the hook with your right hand all the time. You're not 
you know, you're casting with your right hand. So just to always be able to reel with it, you're not doing this cast with my right hand, move the bait caster over to my left and then reel again with my right. It just, to me, I think it's, it just makes sense to just, regardless whether you have a bait caster or spinning reel, reel with the same hand. I don't know. It's funny to see, I've seen polls where it's, you know, 50% of people actually do that, especially with a bait caster where they're casting with the right hand then transferring it over to their left. So then they can reel with the right hand. It just seems a little counterintuitive to me. Yeah, it can be tough. I don't know if you saw there's there's a, another meme video going around the internet right now where this this gentleman is is taking a picture of his fish that he just caught and very proud of it. And then I think he was thinking he was going to throw the fish back, but he had <laughs> the phone in the hand and threw the phone into the lake. So yep. sometimes people get crossed up with their hands, I guess. Uh, and they you know, do, they yeah. Cast to the left, right. <laughs> But that that is that's a really uh, I, I love watching that one every time I see it. The guy's super excited. Um, but let's move on and, and we'll go to to Malax and between DNR regulations anywhere and Malax Lake, there's always going to be some controversy and some people that are not happy. And uh, the St. Cloud radio station KNSI recently published an interview with Minnesota DNR Fisheries Manager Brad Parsons. Uh, mm-hmm. And they were talking about the new Malax regulations for 2022. Um, you know, a lot of criticism there, and that's really not surprising. But Parsons uh, kind of went into it further, and I think that's where it got a little interesting. He says, you know, the fishing has been great out there over the last few years uh, because of one main reason, and that's because these walleyes are hungry and that the forage is down, uh, the perch are not out there the way that they typically are, and that's. Uh, the main forage base for those walleyes. And since they're hungry, they're chasing the lures out there. And that's why you're seeing more aggressive fish. Uh, what do you think about that, Mr. Tallison? Yeah, I think it's an interesting kind of theory, I guess. Um, it does make sense. I think back to fishing there as a kid, we would catch lots of perch. And in recent years, I don't, you catch a couple here and there, but you don't catch nearly the numbers that you used to. The thought process makes sense. If the forage base isn't there, the fish are going to be hungry. Um, when you look at the, the walleyes that you catch there now, comparatively to, you know, years ago when there supposedly was a better forage base, they're a lot skinnier than they were. I mean, you can catch a 30-inch walleye that might only weigh 8 pounds or so because they're so skinny. It's um, It's an interesting concept, and I guess I would like to see some data to back that up, but just uh, with what I've seen out there, it does kind of make sense. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, we're hearing things like, well, the zebra mussels and this and that. Um, you know, and obviously they're different waterways, but, you know, Lake Erie, a lot of people really credit the zebra mussels with the fishery that Lake Erie has. Uh, the same mm-hmm. thing with Detroit River as well. Um, obviously, you know, both of those waterways were really, really messed up with pollution. And, you know, people believe that the, the zebra mussels kind of cleaned up the pollution in the lake. And But you also hear a lot of guys out there saying, you know, the, are, these beds of zebra mussels we have at the bottom of the lake are the perfect place for walleyes to lay eggs because predators can't get to the eggs in those zebra mussels. Um, but I don't, you know, it seems like that's not really what the problem is based on what we're hearing. Um, yeah. And when you, when you say that it's a forage problem, what it does is it says – 
you know, stocking. Everybody wants to stock when, when fisheries are down. But if you don't have a forage-based, stocking isn't going to help you. Um, so I no, think that's kind of where they're getting at here. So um, the same story we hear with Mille Lacs all the time. Uh, more questions than answers there. And hopefully uh, things can start turning around up on the lake. Obviously, you know, there's still a lot of great fish in there. People still flock to it every year uh, in both in open water and in, especially during ice. But uh, I certainly think that, that what we have up there is not what people would, would really like. So right. more interesting stuff there. Uh, you know, I'm looking out my window right now, Blake, and there's snow out there flying and we're uh, in mid April right now. Uh, but hard season or hard house season is over and with that, um, a lot of people are doing the builds. You're talking about prepping for open water. A lot of other people are like, listen, opener isn't for another three or four weeks. I've got some stuff to do. Uh, I have, you know, ice fishing still on the mind. Um, and right now, the hard houses that we're coming out with, you know, they're not inexpensive. So people no. are trying to come up with ways to get themselves out on the water with a hard house that doesn't cost them a lot. And if they have a covered trailer out there, um, you know, they can start working on it. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that, getting out there. Um, if you're going to start doing that and working on building a, uh, a hard house conversion type of thing with your, with your uh, hard-sided trailer, what you're going to want to do is climb underneath there and kind of lay it out from below. Um, you don't want to lay out your holes from above and then find out you've got trailer frame underneath there. So you're going to want to go ahead, um, get underneath there, check out where you're at, where you can put holes, map it out from there. Um, you know, a heater is another thing that you're going to need. Uh, ventless, vented. Um, there's a big debate there. Uh, there's a really great Facebook page out there called, it's actually a group, it's called Fish House Fabrications, and those folks can help you out big time there. Uh, flooring, you know, most people, when they do this, they are going to put a flooring down there. There's a rubber coin flooring you can get at Menards or you can get it at Home Depot or wherever you go. Uh, you'll find that as well. The nice thing about the uh, covered trailer conversion is that those trailers do pull really well. The axle goes all the way around. Uh, all the way through the trailer. Um, obviously, you know, most of these things are not going to drop down. So you're probably going to be looking at those 18 inch hole sleeves from catch cover to uh, get the draft out of there. Um, that Those were a real challenge this year. We had some major supply chain issues, uh, but I just talked to Trevor from, from uh, catch cover today, and <clears throat> we are really already stocking up and uh, he expects to have all of those supply chain issues kind of resolved by midsummer. They've invested a lot into more storage, so they're going to just be bringing in more product before the season so that uh, we're not in such a touch-and-go situation during the season. So expect to see more of that stuff there. Those supply chain issues are being resolved right now, so that's good news. And if you're looking for more information on how to do this, go ahead and go to catchcover.com. Uh, look for the blog, which is in the information section. It's actually, I think it's like on the, uh, I think what you'll see when you go on there is about page five of the blog. So go all the way to page one. It's one of the earlier blogs, but it really lays out how to do this. So it's uh, it's a great time of year to do it. And this is uh, when people are, are getting into it. Um, Blake, any uh, anything to add on on the uh, getting those those covered trailers converted? Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a great way to save money. Like if you don't want to go 
you know, drop a ton of money on a fish all that's already done and you have a coverage trailer, why not kick it off and just do it that way? They're way lighter. Um, you know, there's there's some things you have to take into account, like you talked about, insulation, heat, all that kind of stuff. But if you're just looking for, like, a budget-friendly way to do it, why not? And you can customize it whatever, you, whatever way you want, too, which is kind of neat. Right. They'll, they'll set it up uh, so that they can still use it as a covered trailer. Maybe it's their four-wheeler trailer that they use in the summer. Um, yep. So you put kind of portable furniture in there that you can take in and out. Um, but you can also really build it out as a permanent thing too if you know you're not going to use that trailer anymore for whatever you want to do you could set it up uh, more permanently as well but a lot of guys what they'll do is they'll kind of set up a kitchen right up in the front in the v of the trailer or in the kind of the front area and then leave the back all portable so that they can still use that trailer for moving or whatever it is that they want to do so check that uh, blog post out if that's something you want to try out our last story of the day is the fish fitbit and uh Fitness tracking is something that a lot of people are doing. Obviously, I don't do a lot of it, but, uh, you know, they want to keep an eye on, on how much, how many steps they're doing and those kind of things. And there's a company out in the state of Washington that has essentially made a Fitbit for fish. And what this thing does is it measures, you know, how many times their tail's moving. It tracks that activity level, heartbeat, temperature, water pressure, lots of different stuff. And uh, I think the idea behind it was to uh, just see how fish were moving upstream uh salmon typically in that that annual spawning run to just to check that out and, and i think they're just trying to figure out ways to get them around things like dams and uh just make sure that that those fish are able to do their thing but what's interesting and i think why i'm bringing this story to our show this week is that it can be used it could be used anywhere um and, and yeah. you know right now you know like we just talked about Biologists are trying to figure out this Malax puzzle. There's lots of different puzzles that that our biologists are working on, and this can be used anywhere. It can be used there. Um, the other cool thing is it could be used in in mammals too. So I think uh, you're going to see a lot more of this. I think it's really cool. I mean, I, I kind of come from a like a natural resources background, and so for me this is super interesting. I think you know I've seen lots of studies, like telemetry studies, where they're tracking fish movements. But really all that stuff is doing is giving, you know, giving the biologists uh, the idea of, okay, the fish are here during this time of year and they move to here during this time of the year and then here during this time of the year. You know, there's, like I've seen studies for smallmouth bass where they're tracking them on the Mississippi River. And, you know, that gives them the data of, okay, these fish's home range is, you know, a mile from this location. Or in some instances, I think I saw 33 miles from from kind of that starting location. Um, but what this does is it also adds to, you know, it gives you them more information. So whether or not those fish are getting stressed out, what's happening, uh, like you said, with their heartbeat, how much is their tail moving? And so for things like salmon that, you know, we've all seen those, those videos of salmon trying to get up and over dams, it gives them that additional data. Um, you know, are these fish getting stressed out by doing this? Um, you know, it's not just telling them, Okay, yeah, they started here and they moved to here, which is valuable information, but it's kind of missing the bigger picture as to everything that's going on in that system. So I think it's really, really cool. I, I'd be curious to see how how well it actually works. Yeah, it'll be something that uh, we'll have to keep an eye on, and I, I think you're going to see this thing uh, get used throughout. And yeah, these these insertable things are not new. Uh, I remember uh, in the early 2000s. 
uh, waterfowl telemetry studies. And I was mm -hmm. able to go out with a few biologists for that. And that's a pretty large object that they were putting in. And I mean, it was probably the size of an egg. And yeah. this thing here is about the size of a pen cap. So uh, able to be put into some smaller animals. And I think uh, probably, uh, you know, just a lot less invasive for the animal that you're putting it into. So pretty yeah, cool it, story. It is. It's really cool. Interesting stuff. Well, Blake, I appreciate you coming on again this week and uh, doing this show with me. It's uh, It's been a lot of fun. And uh, hopefully it's been fun for you. And we'll keep on doing it. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Chris. Appreciate it. All right, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Fish House Nation podcast presented by Catch Cover. For more ice fishing content, visit our blog at catchcover.com.